Well, good morning. It is hard for me to believe that we are wrapping up this series, The Good Life, which has been a really special series for us and hopefully meaningful for you. And we hope that you have been engaging in some of the extra resources that we've been providing for you and your bulletin every week with a list of books, uh, with considering uh, creating a rule of life for 2018. And also we hope you've been taking advantage of some of the extra podcasts that Pastor Faith Masco has been creating for us uh, online. And this Wednesday, it's, we, we begin the Lenten season as together we will journey to the cross and, and to the resurrection. And so we hope to see you this Wednesday night uh, as we begin the Lenten season with Ash Wednesday. And so today we're going to take a look at James as we wrap up this series, The Good Life. We, we looked at James several weeks ago uh, when we talked about humility. And today we're going to return to James to get his thoughts on wisdom. Before we begin, let's go ahead and pray. Living Lord, we, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather as your people in your presence. We thank you that you are a good father. And even in your presence, you, you pour out your goodness to us. And so God, as, as we are gathered, I pray that we would be postured in humility and surrendered so that you can have your way in us today. I pray that you would continue to expand our imaginations of your vision of the good life. And that what we know and how we live would be in sync. And that we would reflect your kingdom goodness in such a way that the world would take notice, notice and see a stunning alternative to live. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It seems like every few months... I observe a conversation happening online, conversation centered around Christian pastors who rise to power and influence very quickly, and almost as quickly as they rose to power and influence and authority, and at times a, a, this weird celebrity thing that we have going in, in Christian culture, as quickly as they rise to influence, they crumble. And so oftentimes there's, there's always this a blog or conversation happening online debating what happened, what went wrong. And we don't just see this among Christian pastors, do we? We see this among news anchors or politicians or anyone of influence, even celebrities and actors. Almost as, as quickly as they rose to influence or power or authority or fame, they crumble. And so we, we ask, what went wrong? What were the missteps? What was the mistake that, that led to, to things unraveling and coming apart? And more often than not, it, it, it's they lack wisdom. It's, it's not a, a lack of fame. It's, it's not a lack of education. It's, it's usually not a lack of intellect. It's, it's usually not even a lack of degrees or pedigree or, but what's lacking is wisdom. 
And this is a theme that we see as we walk through scripture as well. We, we see even individuals before God be given favor and influence. They, and they rise to fame or power and influence. And almost as quickly as they rise, they crumble. And it's wisdom that is often lacking and missing from the picture. In fact, we see this with, with King Solomon. God comes before Solomon and says, if, if there's anything I can give you, what would you like. And Solomon responds this way. He says, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth and possessions or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after will ever have. As we get into this story, he, he begins the right way. He, he can have anything, and, and God says, anything you ask for, what I will give to you. And he says, I want wisdom, God. I want wisdom and knowledge on how to lead and govern my people. And, and God is a, responds in a way that is almost astonished. He says, because you have asked for this, I will also give you great wealth and power. But as the story goes and, and we see Solomon's life unfold, it seems that the older he becomes, he doesn't become more wise, but he becomes less wise. And over time, his, his influence begins to deteriorate as he begins to move away from the purposes of God. And while he might begin embracing the wisdom and knowledge of God, we, we see him move away as quickly as he moved towards wisdom and knowledge. It's easier to desire wisdom and knowledge, isn't it, than to actually live it. And like we saw with Solomon, the, the, what he knew and how he l- was living seemed like it was pulls apart from one another, and he acted like a fool as he aged. We see this all the time. Those with power, with incredible power and influence, but as they go on and as more influence or, or more power is given to them, wisdom deteriorates. Several weeks ago, we walked through the book of James, and and we discovered together how James was this incredible picture of an apprentice, of one who sat at the feet of Jesus and learned the posture of humility. And what we discovered is when we read through the book of James, we we see one who who writes with, with echoes of the teachings of Jesus. In fact, we we might almost get the impression that he was plagiarizing the very words of Jesus because they are that in sync. When we read through the Gospels and the Sermon on the Mountain, then we get into the book of James, and it's clear. James sat 
at the feet of Jesus. James was one whose, whose life and, and thoughts and, and was oriented towards Jesus, that it shaped the way he thought, it shaped his worldview, it, it shaped his desires, and it impacted the ways that he lived. It's like this, this quote from James K.A. Smith that we keep returning to week after week that I want to lift up for you one more time. James K.A. Smith says, we are what we love. It is our desires that orient and direct us towards some ultimate telos we take to be the good life. The version of the kingdom we live toward. To be human is to be a lover and to love something ultimate. What we discover when we read through the book of James is that James was one who absolutely was linked into a vision of the good life. And we discover that this isn't just any vision of the good life, but this is the kingdom vision of the good life that that Jesus taught, that he breathed, and that he lived. And therefore, that influenced this writing in the book of James and how he lived and how he viewed life. And, And what we see is what Solomon missed. What Solomon was lacking is that James was shaped and formed by the ultimate wise one. He was near the wise one. He was focused on the wise one. He was a sponge before the wise one as the wise one was shaping him and forming him. He, he loved the wise one. He was following the wise one. And he allowed the wise one to shape and form him in such a way that the very words of the wise one became reality and influenced his writings. And this immersion impacted his life and was shaped by a culture, a culture called that, what scholars call a wisdom culture that we see shaped in, in all throughout scripture. In fact, we, we get insight into this wisdom culture in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. In fact, I want to give us a look at Proverbs chapter 1 verses 2 through 7 to give us a picture of, of this wisdom culture that was influencing and, and shaping James' life. Beginning at verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. Many of us might have different views and and thoughts on what wisdom is. We might come up with our own definition. And many of us would probably assume that wisdom is synonymous with knowledge and understanding. The more that I know... The more book smart that I am, the wiser then I must be. And perhaps some of us would even say, well, you know a person is wise when when they have power, when they have great wealth, when they are intelligent, when they have talent and and gifting and they're, they're eloquent in the ways that they speak. But what we discover about wisdom culture in the Bible 
is that it had less to do with pedigree. It had less to do with talent and and gifting and power and influence even. But wisdom had everything to do with how a person actually lived. In other words, a person is seen as wise, not in how much they just know, but how they are able to apply what they know to everyday living boots on the ground in your everyday context. And in fact, we see this in our passage today from James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. James shows us that the type of wisdom that that he was being shaped by in this wisdom culture world was less to do with intelligence and and more to do with how a person was applying God's intentions for their lives. Let's take a look. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Let's see what James has to say. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it, listen to this, Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So as we can see, when we open up into James' world of this wisdom culture, is that he paints a picture for us of two very different types of wisdom. He says one type of wisdom is earthly, and and you will know it by their fruits. It's not hard to guess. See, what you see from one who is drawing from from the wisdom of the world and not from above, they, they embody a life of envy. And he says that it's almost demonic. He uses this word demonic and and unspiritual. And and he says that you know it by the ways that they are harboring bitterness. So so they're envious and and they're harboring bitterness and and they aren't humble and and they aren't peace-loving and they're boastful. They look out at all of their accomplishments, their, their pedigree, their degrees, and, and their intelligence, and, and, and they're boastful about it. He says they're impartial, they're, they're lacking sincerity. But on the other hand, there's another kind of wisdom, he says. And this wisdom, you can't get from down below. This wisdom comes from somewhere divine and sacred. It comes from above. And, and you can know when one is drawing from the wisdom from above in the ways that they live too, just like you can see it in the ways that one is drawing from the wisdom below. For the one who is drawing from the wisdom from above, he says they're peace-loving. They're righteous. They're considerate. They're submissive. They are full of mercy and they are full of good fruit. And so he paints this picture of wisdom, two types of wisdom. One one comes from above, and the other comes from below. 
And both of them are, are less to do with one's intelligence and how much one knows. But in our world today, when we think of wisdom, we often think of, of someone who is incredibly book smart and intelligent. And, and how much they know of, of this, of scripture. But instead, this wisdom culture that James was immersed in had more to do with how one was living. And a wise person was able to take what they knew, in other words, God's intentions for the people of God, they were able to take what they knew and apply it to everyday, ordinary life. I I love this, this definition that Scott McKnight gives on wisdom. He says, wisdom is the ability to live in the world in such a way that God and God's intentions for the world are acknowledged in all that we do. To live in the world in such a way where God's intentions for my life living in this world in everyday ordinary context, in other words, being able to apply God's intentions for my life in the grocery store, being able to apply God's intentions for my life and and the people that I am engaging in the grocery store, in, in the lives of my coworkers. You see, so much of life has to do with life's major and even minor questions. Some of the questions such as, how should I respond when my coworker speaks to me that way? How should I respond when when I'm on the phone with a customer and I don't like their tone? Uh, What college should I go to? Where, Where should I live? What neighborhood should I live in? Who should I surround myself with? Who should I date? Should I date this person or should I wait? Should I have a close friendship with this person or not? Majority of life's questions have to do with just boots on the ground, everyday kind of living. And and we ask questions, well, should I stick with this? Will it get better or or should I quit? Everyday life circumstances. And what we need isn't more book smart, though that's important. As we've talked about throughout this series, we we must order our lives and fill our minds as a means of grace by allowing the spirit of the living God to shape us. And and one such means of grace is studying and reading books and, and sitting at the feet of others. But what we also need is wisdom to be able to apply these truths that it has influence and authority over our lives and it actually impacts the way that we live, that we are able to hear and understand God's intentions for the people of God in this world. And then we are able to live into it and apply to it in such a way that other guys recognize that we are living in a way under the reign and rule of God. So the question is, if we see people like Solomon and, and others who have asked for wisdom in their life, but yet how they live and what they are asking for appears to be poles apart, light years apart, then how do we live a life that is a life of wisdom, that is embodying the wisdom of God? Well, I'm so glad you asked. First, we, we must recognize the very source of wisdom. 
the source of wisdom that, that James says. There's, there's one that comes from the earth, from the world, and, and there's another that is divine, that, that cannot be conjured up, that, that it comes from a place from above, that it comes from God. And we see that God is the ultimate wise one and the ultimate source of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This this word fear that, that we see here isn't about running away from God and then discovering wisdom. I'm so afraid I'm running from God. But the fear that we see here is this complete and total awe and reverence towards the living God, being in awe of of just the profound nature of who God is, being in awe that God is the deep well of wisdom and knowledge and, and recognizing that God is the sustainer of our lives, that God is the sustainer of wisdom and that God is the source of the wisdom. And so wisdom then is found in the life of drawing near to God in the daily moments and in awe and reverence discovering these disciplines that we have been talking about, creating a rule of life, discovering that it is a means of grace. In other words, posturing ourselves in such a way that the well and the goodness and the wisdom of God is flowing into our lives. And what we discover is such good news is that God is a generous God, that when we place ourselves in these places of of, a means of grace, if you will, where the goodness of God can be poured out to us, we we discover that God is generous. James says in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. God is generous. We have all been in a situation a complex situation where we stop, we pause, and we think, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I don't even know how to make this decision. Should I go this way or or should I go that way? Should I talk to them or should I not talk to them? And God is a generous God. When we ask for wisdom, we see that God gives wisdom. I can remember being 15 or 16 years old, brand new Christian, and reading in places in the Bible where people were increasing in wisdom and knowledge, and I longed for that. I longed to become a woman someday that was able to see and know the purposes of God for my life and for others, and to be able to apply it. And so there was a season in my life as a teenager where every night before I went to bed, I just prayed this very simply. God, help me to be a young woman who increases in wisdom. Help me, God, and I would just pray it over and over and over. And God generously gives wisdom. And and before every meeting around here at Pastor before our board meetings, before a staff meeting, before executive team meeting, before creative team meetings, we always pray. Every meeting we pray and we pause. And do you know what we pray for? Wisdom. Because let me tell you, 
There are some complex decisions that we get to make around here. And sometimes I throw my hands up and I think, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And we pause and we pray, and we ask the generous God for wisdom and discernment, and we trust and we believe that in God's goodness, in God's love, that he is giving us wisdom and discernment. Which leads me to a second point. Yes, God is the source of wisdom, and and also wisdom is the recognition that I'm not the smartest person in the room. So often, how many of us walk into a room and think, boy, they sure are lucky to have me here today. (laughs) Or in a conversation where we really need to set someone straight. Sometimes you may not be the wisest person. James said in in 1 verse 5 that, that we just looked at a second ago, he said, if any of you lacks wisdom... If any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you thought of someone else? How many of you thought, well, yeah, I need to send this sermon over to my cousin? I hope you do. But all of us, when we hear that, if any of you lacks wisdom, we should all stand to our feet and say, oh, that's me. Because I am not the smartest person in the room. No matter what age you are, I don't care if you are 96 and you're sitting in this sanctuary or if you are 15, you lack wisdom. Not one of us have arrived. We are all on a journey. And this is really important to me with my theology of what it means to be a pastor here. When I sit in a room of of other board members or when I sit in a room of, of other pastors, I recognize I'm not the smartest person in the room. Yes, God has called me to be the senior pastor into shepherd conversations, but more often than not, there is someone in the room that has a a better idea than I do, or that has has more depth to, to wisdom in a situation than I do. If any of you lacks wisdom, even if any of us thinks that we don't lack wisdom, then we too stand among the fools. So many of us would just rather be right, wouldn't we? We want to be the right one. We'd rather be right than listen, than absorb the wisdom of others. We'd rather be right than learn. We'd rather be right than love even at times. And so... Wisdom is a recognition that I'm not the smartest person in the room, which means then leads me to point three. Wisdom comes from receiving wisdom from the wise, humbly and receptively. Before coming to Paznaz, Jeff and I began to sense a, a shift that God was releasing us from our current context at the church and, and leading us to something else. And I received an email from one of the largest churches in the nation, not a Nazarene church, one of the largest churches in the nation asking if I would apply to becoming a teaching pastor to join their teaching and preaching team. And when I got the email, I was ecstatic. I thought, me? 
They're interested in me. They want me to consider joining their teaching and preaching team. And I got so excited and flattered that they were considering talking to me. And so Jeff and I, we we did what we always do whenever we have a major life decision. We surround ourselves with what we call a wisdom and discernment circle. This is something I still practice today. And so we began calling up our mentors and loved ones, people that know us well. And we said, we cannot make this decision alone. We need your wisdom and discernment and help us to figure out how to apply God's intentions for our life. See, oftentimes we think of calling as just just between me and God. But actually, calling is discovered within the people of God, among wiser ones, in listening to the wisdom of others. So we surrounded ourselves and we, we kept them involved in every step of the process. We would email back and forth with, with this wisdom and discernment circle every few days. And one day I got an email from one of my mentors, someone who's probably had one of the most just significant influence in my life. He has shaped who I am as a, as a pastor, as, as a theologian, as, as a young woman in Christ. And, and he sent me this email, 10 reasons why you should not accept this position. I got that email and I was stirred, I was frustrated. I thought, doesn't he see what a massive opportunity this is for me? Doesn't he see how, how big this is that I will get to teach and preach at one of the largest churches in the nation and how huge this is and he's trying to tell me I shouldn't go? there's a check in my spirit. I realize that the process of surrounding ourselves with others who are wiser and wisdom and discernment circle is to actually hear them and trust them and trust that process. So I begin to look deeper at what he was saying and he said, I'm just so concerned that if you go to this church You're going to get pulled into becoming a performative preacher rather than a pastoral preacher. And Terabeth, I know you. You are a shepherd. He said, and I'm concerned that if you go, you are just going to get eaten up in this machine. And that it is just going to wreak havoc not only on you as a pastor, but as your family. And I had a decision. I was surrounding myself with these people. Was I going to listen to my desires and my own ambitions? Or was I going to listen to the wisdom of my mentors? Because guess what? One by one, others in the discernment circle began to chime in. I don't think you should do it, Terabeth. This is not a wise decision for you and for your family. Because when we seek to live a life of wisdom, of being able to understand what it means to live in a way that embodies God's intentions for my life and everyday ordinary decisions, but also big decisions. It means that we have to not only listen humbly and and receptively, but finally, our last point, wisdom comes to those who listen and yield. Listen. And yield. In other words, trust that we are submitting ourselves to the wisdom of others. 
to be able to slow down enough and parse out what are, what are my own selfish ambition desires? What is, is this something that I just want that may not be right for my life? Be able to slow down and see it from a new and fresh perspective and, and respond and yield. And so as we close out this series, The Good Life, and we think about this kingdom vision of the good life, we, we encourage all of us to consider the wisdom of creating a rule of life. This is something that is ancient, that goes down throughout church history hundreds of years, a practice that others who have gone before us have created in their life because they recognize that, that when we begin to orient ourselves in a way that, that where there's order in our life, intentionality in our life, and practices in our life, that we begin to actually, through the formation of the Spirit, live into the good life, that, that the gap between what we know about the good life and how we're living the the good life begins to close and the good life becomes reality with boots on the ground. So we pray that you will consider the disciplines that you can create in your life and perhaps you want to surround yourself with a mentor. And by the way, if any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, none of us are too wise for a mentor. There's always someone you can learn from. And so perhaps you want to surround yourself with others in your life and say, you know me. What, what do you observe in my life? What are the disciplines that I'm lacking? How could I better order my life so that I too can be shaped and formed by God's vision for my life of, of this good life? How will you order your life in such a way that this good life becomes reality? Where wisdom becomes who you are. Where gratitude, like we talked about last week, rolls off of your lips. Or where faithfulness to God, as we talked about three weeks ago, faithfulness to God and, and God's people is a desire and not always a chore. Or where fasting is a joy. Or where self-emptying love becomes second nature. Because my desire for us is as a shepherd is that when I look out at us as a people, the worshiping community who gathers at 3700 East Sierra Madre Boulevard and in Covina, is that we would be a people who humbly and receptively hear the kingdom vision of the good life and that we would practice it daily and that the gap between the kingdom vision of the good life and how we're living eventually becomes one. And that we live in such a way that it is clear that we are living under the reign and rule of God and that God's intentions for our lives as a people is reality. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us be that kind of people. Let's pray. Living Lord, we thank you that in your goodness you meet with us, you speak to us, you shape us, and you form us. 
God, I pray that this gathering, what we have done for the last hour and 15 minutes would not be in vain. That it wouldn't be empty. I pray this moment wouldn't be another check off the box. I did my duty. But God, I pray that when we leave this place, we would have been shaped and formed just a little bit more. And that we would make intentional decisions to live a life of wisdom and goodness for your glory. So living Lord, have your way with us today, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, and as we go. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This time I am